0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. You know, friends, over the years, I've received heaps of phone calls, sometimes emails, sometimes personal conversations, and the topic has gone like this. A person says to me, Graham, I got the job. Or it's, Graham, we, we got the house. Or, or we got the apartment. Or it's, Graham, we've been accepted. Now, I've had these conversations and I have them all the time because I've been a little part of the process because I've provided them with a reference. And one of the roles of a minister is to provide references for people uh, almost constantly. And it's a great part of ministry because you can really take the opportunity to affirm people. And generally people get back to me with the uh, with the results of the of how the reference has gone uh, we went through a stage in my last church during the teenage years when a lot of the youth group wanted references from me when they left school and we just went through this real purple patch where everybody got a reference from Graham Agnew got a job and my own kids said dad can we have one of your references I said well you know it doesn't kind of work that way they see my name they see your name and I, I pointed them one of my associates and they said oh he doesn't do a good reference like you dad I said, well, I'll write it and he can sign it. Um, (laughs) We kind of worked it that way, I think. Well, you know, references are are pretty important. Even today, they seem to be an important component in employment, in rental, uh, in acceptance into certain institutions. They seem to still be an important component. So imagine if you were around at the time when Jesus Christ was on this earth and you got a personal reference from Jesus Christ. A personal reference from our Lord and Saviour, the Messiah. How would you feel? I mean, that would be special, wouldn't it? I mean, that sort of personal, re- imagine the doors that it could open. You know, Amazing. Well, one man did. One man did get a personal reference from Jesus Christ. He didn't ask for it. He got it spontaneously. From Jesus. And the strength and the potency of this reference would have left the people of that day stunned. Absolutely stunned. The man? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. The reference was given verbally in front of a large number of people, and it's recorded in the Bible for all time. Let me refresh your memory on it. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. Here's Jesus Christ's personal reference. For John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Here's the quote. I assure you that John the Baptist is greater than anyone who has ever lived. That's the reference. Now, guys, can you imagine? I mean, that incredible rap from Jesus for John the Baptist. Could you, could you imagine uh, that, that, the kind of doors that that would, uh, would open up for people, the greatest person who has ever lived. I mean, what a confidence booster. What an entree into all kinds of opportunities. Imagine a job interview, you know, after he's worked with Jesus, John goes down to downtown Jerusalem looking for a high paid job, and CEO says, Well, John, what do you bring to this task? What do people say about you? Well, are your references? John says, Well, uh, <laughs> you've heard of Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the man who's changing the world. I just happen to have a DVD here on which he describes me as the greatest man who's ever lived. (laughs) I don't know, he could be right. I mean, you know, I mean, what an amazing opportunity that would be. Friends, look, this might explain. This might explain, this incredible rap given by Jesus might explain something that crops up here in Matthew chapter 9, the passage just read to us by Hannah. Look, look, it's clear. John the Baptist was an extraordinary individual. Okay. I mean, he was the one chosen to announce the coming of the Messiah. He's the one, he's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make a pathway straight through the desert for our God. He came with a message of repentance and judgment. Doubtless a very charismatic character who in his own way attracted a huge following. Can I just refresh our memories for a little bit? Going back to Matthew chapter 3 and the first six verses. This is just to kind of put John the Baptist into context. At that time, John the Baptist came to the Judean desert and he started preaching. Turn away from your sins. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. John was the man the prophet Isaiah was talking about when he said, someone is shouting in the desert, prepare a road for the Lord, make up a straight path for him to travel. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. This is an alternative man. And his food was locusts and wild honey. That'd keep you trim, wouldn't it? Early Jenny Craig, right there, <laughs> people came to him from Jerusalem, from the whole province of Judea, from all over the country near the Jordan River. They confessed their sins, and he baptized them in the Jordan. This man was huge on the political and social landscape of that time, so this might explain something. Mind you, John was also a man of great humility, a man of great he said on one occasion there 's one coming whose sandals i 'm not Worthy to carry some versions say to untie he also said to jesus you 're coming to me to be baptized, oh, I should be coming to you, so he was a man of great humility, but clearly he was a leader in his own right, man with great influence over the hearts and minds of people so here 's the clue look at this look at this verse from From Matthew 9. Then the followers of John the Baptist came to Jesus asking, Why is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast at all? Now, at first glance, it's tempting to get into a discussion about the fasting and to try to understand what does Jesus mean? You know, he talks about weddings and bridegrooms and that that's the temptation to go off on that tangent. But the part of this verse that really hit me was the followers of John the Baptist. What's that all about? I mean, who are these people? I mean, didn't they get the memo that Jesus has arrived? Didn't they understand or even hear what John had been saying, that he was simply pointing the way? for the coming of the messiah didn't they appreciate the significance of john's own words i baptize you with water but there's one coming who will baptize you with the spirit and with fire what are they doing still following john that's a that's a that's a real question why are they wanting to keep preparing the way when the promised one has already arrived the followers of john the baptist it's extraordinary Yes, they had doubts. Some of their doubts were fueled by JTB, John the Baptist. Uh, Matthew 11, let's check it. Matthew 11, verses 2 and 3. When John the Baptist heard in prison about the things that Christ was doing, he sent some of his disciples, this this is, I love this, sent some of his disciples, tell us, they asked Jesus, are you the one John said was going to come or should we expect someone else? Yeah, we pass over a verse like that, but like, that's profound. I mean, you know, th- these guys, John was actually doubting whether... like th- Did we get the wrong guy? <laughs> you know, I thought it was going to be much different than this. I thought it was going to be on a stage, sort of kind of a stage show, touring the, the country, oh, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. for G-, you know. I, I, and he's in prison. He thought he was going to be the sort of the, the opening act, the, the compare of all of Jesus' shows around town. He's in prison and he's disillusioned. And so he sends his followers to ask, did we get this wrong or are you really the one? So these guys were caught up in that. They were caught up in the doubts that John himself had. So what do we have? We've got people who've, who've become attached to a, a very strong leader, to this charismatic, fiery John the Baptist, and they were still following him. We've got an imprisoned John the Baptist who's starting to have some real doubts about the identity of Jesus Christ. And to my mind, this all adds up to an inability to accept change. That's the main thing I get from this. It's an inability on the part of these John the Baptist followers and John himself to accept change. Clearly these followers and John himself had developed specific expectations of how Jesus would operate and and those expectations were not being met. That's the bottom line. Maybe they were expecting a much more fiery, politically active, more militant Jesus. In Jesus' own words, and in his reply to the inquiry from John's disciples, Jesus says something quite different. What does he say? He says, You go back and you tell John what you are hearing and seeing. The blind can see. The lame can walk. Those who suffer from dreaded skin diseases are made clean. The deaf hear. The dead are brought back to life. And the good news is preached to the poor. And there's a little bit of a... A twist at the end, Jesus gets a point across, how happy are those who have no doubts about me? <laughs> you go back and tell John, going to lift his game a little bit. Things are happening, how happy are those who have no doubts? What adds to this puzzle is that these so-called disciples of John seem to be aligning themselves with the Pharisees and the religious establishment. That, that's the thing that's really puzzling. I mean, I mean, these are the very groups that Jesus is starting to shake up a little bit. And they seem to be aligned with them. Verse 14, why is it that we, followers of John, and the Pharisees fast often? We're in with them. We're following what they do. But your disciples don't fast at all. It's like these followers are really struggling to hold onto some of the old ways, some of the old traditions. They're really finding it hard to cope with the changes. And this is not to say that Jesus is against fasting, not at all many other passages he's in favor of but not in any kind of strict legalistic way he's he's more he he more talked about it as a, a means of opening up oneself to the movement of god's spirit and to uh to establishing intimacy with god in a very deep and powerful way now what adds further light and clarity to this whole scenario i got really excited about this passage if you haven't read it for a while get into this matthew 9 it's fantastic we need to go back to the beginning of matthew chapter 9 to see what's really happening here the beginning of matthew chapter 9 look at look at this As Matthew 9 opens, we find Jesus involved in two incidents that would have shaken the religious establishment to the core. This would have really shaken them up. Neither of these incidents seem to be all that significant. They're just moments. But they would have been extremely controversial. The first, the healing of a paralysed man. Jesus heals this man. Miraculously. It's fantastic. And this really incensed the Pharisees. Why? Because Jesus declared the man's sins were forgiven. healed the guy. And then said, oh, by the way, your sins are forgiven. And they seized onto that. And verse 3 of Matthew chapter 9. Then some teachers of the law said to themselves, this man is speaking blasphemy. And that. Really got the Pharisees stirred up if they felt you were speaking blasphemy. And that's what they believe. The second incident, the call of Matthew. In Matthew 9, okay? The tax collector. Jesus called him into ministry. That was okay. Jesus was calling lots of people. But this guy would have really, I mean, the Pharisee would have said, fancy, if this guy's the Messiah and he's going to build a team, fancy calling this kind of person, this person we all hate. Because we know about the tax collectors and how they were hated by the Jews. But more than that, here's something that happens. Matthew is so excited about being chosen by Jesus, he decides to throw a party. And it's obvious that he's connected with some of the seedier kind of people in town. And more than that, the party is, is one to which Jesus is invited and this could have been like a, a scene from Underbelly or something like that. You know, like some real characters, some shady characters from around town are at this party. And Jesus is there right in the midst. And right on cue, the Pharisees can't help themselves. Right on cue, they ask Jesus' disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with such people, who they regarded as outcasts? Why did he do this? Can't possibly be the Messiah." Well, friends, look, you can see what's happening. Okay, we're building a picture here. You can see what's happening. It's early in his ministry. And Jesus is leaving people in no doubt as to what his Messiahship is all about. Leaving them in no doubt. It's about forgiveness of sins. It's about reaching the lost. It's about ministering to everybody, including those on the fringes of society. Everybody's included. Something's happening. It's new. It's transformational. It's different to the old ways. The world is never going to be the same again. It's all there. And Jesus further stirs the pot when in verses 12 and 13 of Matthew chapter 9, he says this People who are well don't need a doctor, but only those who are sick. You see, from now on, he says it's about, it's not about form and ritual. From now on, it's going to be about faith and renewal. Everything's changing. And so Jesus' reference, as Hannah read, to putting on new patch, putting a new patch on an old garment, pouring new wine into, into old wine skins. It's not just in response to the question about fasting. It's actually it's, it's his response to the entire build-up of events, the, the, the healing of the paralysed man, the call of Matthew, the party. The, it's, it's the whole thing. And Jesus is responding to the whole Scenario. You see, the new wine of the kingdom was being made available. That's it. New wine skins were needed. And his hearers would have understood what he meant by that. As many of you know, wine was kept in animal skins in those days. And they'd been dried and they'd been treated specially. And the new juice would be poured into the the skin and it would be sewn shut. And the juice would then begin to ferment and expand in the skin and turning it into wine. Graham Agnew talking about the production of wine. Fantastic. Um, It it would stretch with the new pliable wine skin as it sort of bubbled away and became wine. But of course, if you put the new wine into an old, dry, hardened skin during the fermentation process there's no flexibility, no pliability and the skins had a fair chance of bursting that's the the thing behind this so so friends, it's a very powerful analogy it's a very powerful analogy and and a very confronting one for the Pharisees You'd, you'd have to say that very confronting because they must have known deep down they must have known deep down that the wine skin holding their version of the good news, the law, the old covenant, the old ways, they must have known deep down that that skin was old and it was dry and it was inflexible compared to what they saw happening with Jesus. All this freshness and newness. And here's the disciples. I mean, new wineskins were needed. That's the thing. New wineskins were needed. And here's the disciples of John, caught up, as it were, sort of somewhere in between. They're kind of hanging on a little bit. These are the disciples of John. And they're caught up, as it were, between the dispensing of the old wine and the receiving of the new wine. Partly because of their inability to let go of the old ways. Partly because of their strong allegiance to john himself they were caught between law and grace they were caught between mere ritual and the need for a relationship with god through jesus they were caught between following the herald and submitting to the hero between preparation for and enjoying the presence of jesus Now we must not be too hard on these first century people, these followers of John, because look often we too experience a tension between certain factors, like there's a tension between making Christ known, and that's at the heart of everything we do at Northside, we're making Christ known, trying to get people to the core of what we're really all about, that's why we do it in all kinds of different ways, courses and stuff, but the essential aim is to Make Christ known. There's a big difference between being involved in making Christ known and knowing Christ, knowing him. The latter is much more probing. The latter requires commitment. The latter requires our willingness to to grow and to learn and to stay on the pathway. And that takes you beyond the people and the programs and the ministries that influence influence us about jesus and it takes us that journey takes us to jesus himself from going about learning about jesus to jesus himself now with their question about ritualistic and legalistic fasting it could have been that the disciples of john were still believing it was possible to be made right with God through adherence to certain rules and regulations. That's why they're so hung up on fasting. Hey, we've always done this. This has always kind of got some sort of a connection with God. Hopefully, you can only hope and pray. Hopefully, eventually, they, they were to discover that following Jesus is not a matter of patching up our lives, it's a matter of being made new. And that's where we need to use the second of Jesus' analogies putting new fabric, new fabric as a patch. On old clothing, as soon as you wash the garment, if you put a, a new patch on an old, as soon as you wash the garment, the new piece will shrink. My lack of knowledge of sewing, I've got to stay close to my notes here. Um, and it'll begin to tear away because the clothing has already weathered a lot of washing and it's shrunk as far as it's going to shrink. But the new patch has a little bit more to shrink and it'll pull away maybe some of you grew up with clothing like that i think i did it parts of my early life when we were doing it pretty poor friends here's the thing look our life in christ my life in christ your life in christ it's not a matter of putting new patches on those areas of our lives that we're not happy about putting a series of little patches kind of patch it all up. That's not what our life in Christ is all about. It's a matter of being made new. It's a matter of putting on a whole new garment, whole new clothing. You know, in the first century, to re-emphasize the newness of life in Christ, and this is in non-biblical records, when a person came to be presented for baptism in some areas of first century Christianity, they would be encouraged to wear their oldest, daggiest clothes. Uh, for me, that would be a certain grey tracksuit that I wear during the winter months on a Saturday morning, generally no later than until about 11.30 uh, when we might go somewhere. It's pretty daggy. Bring your old clothes, your really oldest clothes, and then you'd dump them on the side of the of the riverbank. We'd go into the river or the pond, get baptised with a suitable loincloth or whatever, And you'd come out the other side and there waiting for you was a brand new set of clothes. New shirt from YD, new strides, new dress, whatever. To emphasise the fact that you were a new person. Friends, the disciples of John needed a new perspective, a kingdom perspective, because they were following a man, not following the Messiah. They are following a man. And they still believed in doing things, doing things that could help their salvation, like fasting and so on. They felt they could still patch up their lives and earn God's favour. Gosh, can you identify with some of that? I can. In periods of my life when I've been so obsessed with certain authors, so obsessed with certain preachers, they could do no wrong. Everything they said was just like, But, like, they come and go, you know? But Jesus Christ stays forever. And he's the one we're following. These followers of John, isn't that amazing? Followers of John, man, didn't they get the memo? These followers of John hopefully were to live long enough, maybe, to become part of church communities where they might have received, like, a, a letter from Paul. It was to say years later, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's a journey. That's a journey that we're all, as Michael said earlier, we never make it. But it's a journey. Friends, are you on that journey this morning? Not following the man, not following something else. That thing's been running through our service this morning. Not following anything else other than Jesus, and recognizing that the old ways are not going to do it. The old patching up your life is not going to do it. We need a whole new garment, a whole new creation in Jesus. Wow, that's the gospel. Let's thank God for it.